My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. All right, guys. Well, if you aren't there yet, let's go ahead and turn to Colossians. We are in chapter one. We started a brand new sermon series uh, through the book of Colossians, and we went through the entire um, history and kind of the context of Colossians last week. So if you missed it, it's up on the podcast. Um, I saw that it was already put up. So you guys are good to go back and to listen to that first message. Uh, But just briefly, um, Paul was writing to uh, the church in Colossae because they were doing well um, spiritually. He said they had a very strong faith. They had a great love for one another. They were doing okay, but there were some pressures from the, and influences from the outside uh, world that, uh, that, that, I don't know, are common to man, but also we're maybe kind of infiltrating the church a little bit. And so he wanted to call, he wanted to write to them and say, hey, stay rooted in what you were taught. Stay rooted in all of these different things. And that's what we've named our sermon series is rooted because he's like, stay rooted in these several things. Last week we looked at, he said, stay rooted in your faith in Jesus Christ. Stay rooted in your love for each other. Stay rooted in your prayers for one another. Those are the things that he was telling them to stay rooted in so that they would not give in to uh, the, the, the wisdom and the knowledge that the world would bring into them to confuse them. We're going to get more into that in chapter two. But those are the things that he wanted to say. And today, we're going to be talking about staying rooted in the deity of Christ. Stay rooted in the deity of Christ, all right? We're going to talk about that uh, today uh, because it was important for Paul to talk to them about. He knew that if he didn't want them to go away from the faith, he knew that they needed a strong stance on who Jesus was, who Jesus really was. And so he's going to talk to them about that, um, and we're going, to t- we're going to talk about that today. So the question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This is an important question um, as so many people have so many different takes on who Jesus is. If you were to ask people today, like, who is Jesus? You're going to get all kinds of different answers. To some, uh, Jesus was just a prophet. To some, he was a very kind person. To some, he never even existed. Some people will say, I, don't, I think Jesus actually is just a fictional character, and, uh, and I don't think he ever really existed. Those aren't serious scholars, by the way. Um, those are just people who, I don't know, for whatever reason, want to take him out of history. But to some people are like, oh, he's a white guy. To some people, he's like, oh, he's a black guy. To some other, he's like, oh, he's neither, actually. Like, people have all of these stances. If you notice, even walking through Times Square or anywhere else, people are like, no, Jesus is this race. Jesus is that race. Like, why are we, everybody's arguing about who Jesus is. 
Like everybody wants to fight about who Jesus is. To some, he's the, just the image of a man on a cross. To some, whenever they think about Jesus, they go in their brains to whenever they might have gone to church. You know, if, if people grew up Catholic and you walk inside and there's that picture of Jesus hanging on a cross and that's the image they have of Jesus. And they're like, oh, that's who Jesus is. He's that guy that ended up dying and Mary was really sad. Like that's who Jesus is to them. To some, they believe Jesus is God. To some, he's not. You can go out and you can ask all the people around you. And in fact, why not? Just say, hey, I'm doing a little bit of a kind of a quiz, like, or, or kind of a research project. Who, who is Jesus to you? Like, who do you say, who do you say that Jesus was, right? See what they say. Most would agree that he was a person of importance, that's tough to get away from. You got to at least say he was a person of importance, but how important, right? And it's an important question to ask. Depending on what is true, it's actually a question that could potentially hold a whole lot of value. The question of who Jesus is isn't just being talked about today. The question of who Jesus is has been talked about for centuries. In fact, since Jesus walked the earth, because if you look in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 18, Jesus is the one talking here. Jesus is still on the planet, and this is what it says. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Like, who are people saying that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. And others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Even then people had different opinions on who Jesus is. It's not just a thing that's happening today. It's a thing that's been happening for a really, really, really long time, thousands of years. But you know what one thing they weren't arguing about at that moment was? That he never existed. Because <laughs> he's literally right there in front of them. So that's just an argument for today. Because people want to try to erase Jesus from history, which is weird. I don't get it, but they're trying to. So one other thing that was... Um, undeniable back then as well as he was a person of influence. Because 2,000 years, 2,000 years later, he's still the most, listen to this, the most influential person of all time. Jesus is the most influential person who has ever existed. No one in all of history has ever had the influence on the world that Jesus had and still has today. Not, uh, there is, no one even comes close. Think about that. No one even comes close to the influence that Jesus had on the world. I'm saying, I'm not saying it was, it might be good influence. It might be bad. I'm not, we're just saying he has influence on the world, no matter who you are. So the question is, who do you say that he is? If somebody were to ask you that question, they would write up to you and go, hey, can you tell me who is Jesus? What would you say? What would you, how would you answer? The person of Jesus was important enough that Paul found it imperative to write to the Colossians about. And he said, I think you guys need to know who he is. I want you to know who he is. And I want to make sure that you are confident um, in who he is. 
and, uh, and he felt like it would guard their faith. And so um, I want you to see the heading of our scripture. If you have your Bible, um, and if, if you're looking at it, you know, on your phone or whatever kind of translation you have, uh, there's usually a heading above certain scriptures, right? Um, and it kind of tells you what the following scripture is going to be about. If you have the NLT, it says what? Christ is, does anybody have it? Supreme, all right? Christ is supreme. That's the name of the, this section of scripture. If you have the ESV, what does it say? The preeminence of Christ, right? Which just means the superiority of Christ. The NIV says the supremacy of Christ. So that's what we're going to be talking about in these five verses is the, is the supremacy of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, the superiority of Christ. That's what he wanted them to understand. I want you to understand that he is preeminent. I want you to understand that he is superior to everything and everyone. And so this section of scripture had also been named by some as the Christ hymn. What's a hymn? It's just a, a song of praise. And so uh, ba Paul basically gives us words of praise about the preeminence and the supremacy of Christ through this. And so it's a really cool section of scripture. It's a really beautiful little five verses of scripture about who Jesus is. And my goal is that whenever you walk out of here, you're going to be confident in who Jesus is. You're going to be, your faith is going to be strengthened because of the confidence that you have in who he is, all right? And remember, it's all about being rooted in, that's the name of the message today, being rooted in the deity of Christ, that he is God. So let's check it out. First, uh, verse 15, it says this, and we'll break this down. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What is God saying to us through Paul about Christ in this scripture. First of all, let's take that first half. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Let's talk about what that means just for a minute. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Maybe for some of you, you were like, well, I have no issue with that. I know exactly what it's saying. Maybe, but it's important that we understand the word image that's used here because a lot of people get tripped up on this. Several, many people get tripped up on this. And, and, and by the way, if you get tripped up on this, it will change your entire doctrine and theology and everything to follow. It's that important uh, that you understand what this says. So what's the word image? What does, what does that mean? Does it mean he's just a picture of God? Like, you know, we're, we're made in the image of God. Does that mean that we are God? No, that doesn't mean we are God. So how is Jesus, right, the, the, the visible image of the visible God? Well, some people understand it like this. If I were to draw a picture, let's say, I'm not, I, I don't draw real well, um, but I think I could manage this. Uh, if I were to draw a kite, okay, in the sky, and it was really pretty and had a tail, right? You just saw that just now, the whole kite? Okay, all right. Let's say, that, um, let's say that I tilted the kite a little bit that way, and then I drew like three little wispy lines right here. What would you say those wispy lines represent? The wind. See, I knew I could be a good artist. It would be the wind, right? You're thinking, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's the wind. And that's kind of how some people think of this. You could say that those wisps are the visible image of the invisible wind. Because you can't see the wind, right? So you got to somehow give it some sort of visible image. And that's how we kind of do it. Well, that's the way that some people interpret this. And what it has led to is that Jesus isn't God, just a representation of God. You can see how they would get that. 
that he's just a representation of God. But whenever you're just reading it on the outside like that, that, if, that could be how you end up seeing that. Well, because it's so crazy that people can get two different theologies from one half of a verse. It's just half of a verse. And people are like, some people are like, well, that's saying that he is God. And people are like, oh, no, it's not. He's just saying he's just a representation of God. He's just kind of an image of God, just like we are, just kind of like we are. But the word that Paul wrote down right there is the Greek word icon. And this word refers to, and listen to this, this is so, so important. This word refers to the living manifestation of God. That word image is talking about the living manifestation of God. Jesus is, this is what Paul is saying with that. Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus is the revelation of God exclusively and entirely. He is the embodiment of God's nature and makes what is otherwise invisible, visible. He is the embodiment of God's nature. He is in essence the same substance as God himself is what he's saying. He is the visible image. He's the same substance of the invisible God that you know about. To make the case stronger, just so that you don't think that we're out of line here, because we, one thing we want is, is we need more scripture, right? To, to really kind of back that up. So here's a question that we could ask. What did Jesus say about himself? Like Paul is saying Jesus is God, the same essence as God. So what about Jesus? What did he have to say about this? And it's very kind of interesting um, and really kind of cool. And this really comes into play what, whenever you, I don't know if, how many of you guys either work with somebody who might be a Muslim or you're friends with someone who might be a Muslim or, you know, just kind of, yeah. So it's very easy to do because we live in New York. And, um, and you guys have heard my stories about different interactions with Muslims. But the thing is, is what they'll do is they'll say, well, actually, we believe in Jesus. We, we believe that he was a prophet, just like Muhammad was a prophet, just like Jeremiah was a prophet. They'll say Old Testament prophets. Yeah, we believe all of that. We believe that Jesus was a prophet. But we don't believe that Jesus is God which is what Christians believe. And if you ask them why they don't believe Jesus is God, they'll say, because Jesus never claimed to be God. That's just something you guys have said. And so they would take this scripture that we're reading today, and they would say, see, that's not saying that Jesus is God. It's saying that he's just a image of God, right? Just like we all are an image of God. That's how they would interpret that verse. But here's what's sad is that whenever a lot of Christians, why, why is that the go-to for them? Because to me, it's like, well, if somebody says that, you should go, nah, -uh. right? If somebody says, Jesus never claims he was God, immediately every Christian should be like, nah, -uh. like that's not true. Like Jesus does claim to be God. But where would you go? Let me put you in the shoes just for a second. Like if, if a Muslim were to come up to you and they were to say, I believe that he was a prophet, but he never said that he was God, what would you do? Would immediately you go, Oh, no. Because a lot of Christians do. A lot of Christians will go, I didn't know that. I didn't realize Jesus never called himself God. I'm going to show you something, which, by the way, this is just a small scripture, and there are plenty of scriptures where Jesus calls himself God, and if we had a Bible study on that, we could do that, but we don't have time today. But I'll just give you one, of, I'll give you probably, in my opinion, the biggest, boldest 
claim to be God that Jesus ever did. If you guys remember in the book of Exodus, um, you remember Moses is in charge of going to free the Israelites from Egypt. Okay. So they're in bondage, they're in slavery. And Moses is, and God's like, Moses, I want you to go and I want you to free them. Moses is like, what? Right. It's like, I, I don't think, maybe I misheard you. Can you tell me one more time? Right. Because you want me to go to all of these people and you want me to waltz in there and you want me just to be like, Hey guys, I'm going to free you all. Good to see you. They'll be like, who the heck are you? Well, I'm Moses, and uh, God sent me to free all of you. They, they, they're like, what? And you want to go in front of Pharaoh and be like, let him go. It's time. It's time to go, right? No. Like, that's, that's completely daunting. And, and Moses was terrified. Moses is like, hey, uh, quick question. So if I waltz in there, and, and they give me a pop quiz, right? And they're just like, hey, um, you said God sent you? And what if they ask me the question, who is God? Like, what if they ask that question? What am I supposed to tell them? And what does God tell Moses if they ask that question? In Exodus chapter 314, like if they ask, what's, what's his name? What am I going to tell them? Exodus 314, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Hey, that, that is a big, huge statement right there to say that I am, because what does that mean? Like if you were to, if some, let's just say you were to walk up to somebody, okay, anybody, and you were to ask the question, who do you think you are? And they, and they stood up and they said, well, I am. Like, what would you think about them? You would be like, you are the most arrogant person I've ever met in my whole entire life. Because you can't just waltz in and be like, who are you? Well, I am. I just, I am. You are what? I am. Okay, what, what are you talking about? Do you know what God is saying here whenever he says, I am? Because the question we should ask is what? He says, I'm everything. I am everything. I am above all kings. I am above all kingdoms. I am the king of majesty. I am above all creation. The mountains shake before me. The demons run and flee at the mention of your name, king of majesty. I am the alpha, which is the beginning. I am the omega, which is the end. I am. What does that mean? It means he's too encompassing, too majestic. So he gets the title and he has the title, I am am. That's God's title. Now I want you to take, I want to take you to John chapter eight, verse 48. You see the Jews ask Jesus the same question. Just who do you think you are? And, and we're going to start in 48. It says this, the Jews answered him. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So obviously they're not getting along. <laughs> Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews are like, now we know that you have a demon. 
because Abraham died. You, what do you mean they never see death, right? If you keep my word, never see death. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Like Abraham died, the prophets died. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets? Who do you make yourself out to be? Ask Jesus, who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. What? He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you aren't yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Tell me Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus most definitely, most definitely claimed to be God. And you know what they tried to do after Jesus said that? They tried to stone him. Do you know why they tried to stone him? Because he broke the law of blasphemy. Because he claimed to be God. And they picked up stones to throw them at him. Sometimes, like I said, you'll run into someone who says Jesus never claimed to be God. Write that down because I don't ever want you guys to get caught with that. Even if that's the only verse that you want to go to, go to it. But I promise you there are more. If you need a whole list, you can look it up. And there are plenty of things that Jesus said claiming to be God. I want you to write this down because this is so, so important. Knowing the real Jesus will root you in truth. Knowing the real Jesus will root you in truth. We need to be rooted in in truth and knowing the real Jesus will do that and the real Jesus is God. Mormons will tell you that Jesus is not God. I don't know how many of you have ever run into um, a Mormon. Chances are high they might have knocked on your door. That's what they do. But they love having conversations and they'll tell you that Jesus is not God. What, will, what would you say? Are you rooted in, in, in your, are you, are you rooted in that, in your confidence that Jesus is God? So the next thing, because we're just going to keep on going, the next thing that is said in this verse is also notorious for tripping up people. And actually the thing that really that first part, they're like, oh, okay, I mean, I don't think that means Jesus is God, but Mormons and Muslims get caught up on this very next one um, a lot. And you'll see why verse 15b says this. So he says he's the um, visible image of the invisible God. He is the uh, firstborn of all creation, is what it says next. He's the firstborn of all creation. And people are like, aha, you see, he's born. So therefore, he must have been created. Because you can't have somebody who's born that hasn't been created. So he can't be God because nobody created God. So he's the firstborn of all creation. And they're like, got you here, right? But if Jesus is God, like Jesus said he was God, 
well, then he can't be created, right? Because God lives outside of time. Like God, God exists outside of time. So there's, there's nobody that has ever been, I mean, God can't be created. And by the way, if somebody comes up to you and is like, well, if God created everything, then who created God? That's not a good question. Because whoever created time has to exist outside of time and therefore has no beginning, which is a word that's used in time, <laughs> okay? We, know, we can't even talk outside of time. We have to use time to even talk about it. So if people ask you that question, but here's what they say. They're like, okay, he's the firstborn of all creation. Let me, what, what would you say if they were like, well, he was first, he was born. Here's an example, Psalm 89, 27. Hopefully I have that up there. I do, okay. Psalm 89, 27. You guys know um, who David is, right, in the Bible? Some of you do. Uh, here's what um, God refers to David. He refers to him as the firstborn. He says, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings on earth. Now, Bible trivia. Of all of his brothers, where did David fall? He was the youngest. Yeah, David was the youngest. Well, why in the world are we talking about David being the firstborn? How can you make somebody the firstborn? So what did he mean? Well, he explains it in that verse. He says, I will make him the firstborn, the what? Highest of the kings of the earth. Highest what? Ranking. I will make him the highest ranking of the kings of the earth. So this is how often the term firstborn was used, is it was, it was used to talk about the highest ranking of somebody. Um, and so you can find many instances in scriptures where you really want to kind of get into it. So what Paul is saying with his words is Jesus in Colossians is Jesus is the highest rank above all creation. So whenever it says um, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Yeah, in our culture, in our time, in day and time, we read that and go, oh, he was, he's firstborn. But if you were an audience listening back then, you understood something different. Not that he's the first person that was born ever, but he's the highest rank above all of creation. And we're going to see um, why here in just a second. And it's actually because he's the creator. Spoiler alert. Okay. I like how the NLT actually translates this verse. Uh, because the ESV just says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And the NLT people were like, you know what? We're just going to get rid of all confusion completely. And look what it says. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Skips the firstborn thing. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. I'm like, thank you, NLT, for explaining that so that people don't get hung up on the whole firstborn thing. And so I really appreciate that they went and did that. That's why it's important, guys, to read um, maybe different translations side by side because we're translating from a whole different language, a language that we don't know. And so English can't exactly translate everything exactly how it's supposed to be. And so people tried different kinds of things to translate it to get the point across. Read multiple translations. Um, that's a really, really good thing to do. So look at where Paul takes this hymn next. Uh, he says in verse 16, this still, he's talking about Jesus. Remember, being rooted in the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. For by who all things were created? Christ. By Christ, all things were created. Look out the window for a second. Those are buildings. That's bad. You see a tree out there? Hopefully you see a tree out there. You see, you see nature. You see the world. You see the sky. You see all of that. We know that God spoke all of those things into creation. Well, who was it? Jesus was. By him, all things were created. 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And then he talks about some, and like even the angels, which we talked about earlier, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. He's talking about angelic rankings there. He says, all things were created through him and for him, not just the sky and everything that you see on this earth, but even the angels were created by him. Let me show you a companion scripture to this, which is John chapter one, uh, verses one through three, and then verses nine through 14. Look at what it says in John. Look what John says. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Now, first, if you're just reading this, you're going, okay, what does that mean? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So whatever this word is, in the beginning was there and it was with God and that word was God. He, okay, now word is a he. So that's how we're understanding this. So he, the word, was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, the word. And without him, without the word, was not anything made that was made. Keep going. The true light, then he goes down in verse 9, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. So this word was a he. This word was God. This word was with God. This word also came into the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and, and truth. When it says in the beginning was the word, who's it referring to? Jesus. John's talking about Jesus. He was there at the beginning. He was God. He was with God. He was there from the beginning. And that word there in the Greek is the word logos, uh, the word word, the word word. Yes, the word word. In the beginning was the word. That's the Greek word logos. And it literally means like the spoken word. So he's saying in the beginning was this, the word. It was a person, but it's the spoken word. The person who speaks the word of God was there in the beginning, is what he's saying. John is saying, you know the scriptures that talk about God's word? Scriptures like Psalm 33, 6. Look at this one real quick. Where it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. What are hosts, by the way? Angels. So by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Even Psalm, the psalmist agrees. Whoever this word is, that the psalmist is just talking about the spoken word of the Lord created everything. In Genesis, when it says that God created the world, how did he do it? He spoke it into existence. You see how beautiful the scripture is because it calls Jesus the word, the spoken word. He says he's the creator. He created all things, everything in heaven, everything on earth, how it all beautifully, beautifully goes together. So whenever you're asked, who is the true Jesus? Well, he's the living word of God. Jesus is the living word of God, according to John. He's the creator of all things visible and invisible. All things on earth and in heaven, including the angels. Jesus was with God at creation, but not just with God at creation. 
He was God who spoke creation into existence. Paul said it about Jesus. John said it about Jesus. David said it about Jesus. Jesus said it about himself. It's so important that we know these things. And in verse 17, he goes on, he says, and he is before all things. And we're going to talk in a second about why this is so important because you're like, Greg, why, why are we talking about this? Like, why is it important that we get this right? Just hang on a second. So it says in 17, and he is before all things. All right. So it means he existed before anything existed. He's eternal. And in him, all things hold together. Look at another beautiful companion verse to all this. I love how scripture just continues to agree with scripture, not in it's by so many different authors, but it just continues to agree with itself. Hebrews chapter one, one through three says this long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. I want, we're going to take a sidebar for a second because I want you to see something different here. Because whenever somebody says that Jesus was just a prophet like other prophets, well, that's not what the Bible says. Because long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's, he has spoken to us by his son. You can see that it's talking about like a, the son, Jesus, is separate from the prophets in this. So just keep that in your mind if you ever want to use that, all right? He, they're not, he's not a prophet. He's the son of God. He is God. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. There it is again. It's everywhere. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We just read that because what did, what did Paul just say? He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So what two things do we see? Jesus holds all things together by the word of his power, something that only God can claim to do, okay? Like you can't say that about any human being that has ever walked the planet. You cannot say, oh, yeah, they're great. You know that they hold everything together just by the word of their power. The power of their word. No, like, no. You can't say that about it. Only God can make that claim. And also we see that Jesus is eternal. And that which is eternal cannot be created. And then he goes and he finishes it out with this. And it says, and he is the head of the body. I love this this beautiful hymn that he's just writing about who Jesus is. He is the head of the body, the church. He's not only creator. He's not only eternal. He's not all, he's not only all of these things. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, which means the first of the first to be resurrected and stay resurrected. It also means supreme over all who will ever be raised from the dead over us who will one day be raised which is a reality for all believers. But it says that in everything, continuing on, that in everything, he might be preeminent. He might be superior. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his Christ. Jesus is a big deal. Jesus is a big deal. I mean, if you think about this, he's creator. He's savior. 
sustainer. He's all of these things. And it is a very, very big deal. In a nutshell, Jesus is who? God. Jesus is God. And you might ask, why is it a big deal? Write this down. Your confidence, your rootedness in the deity of Jesus will have an effect on the strength of your faith and ultimately what you believe. I got it on the screen for you. Your confidence, your rootedness in the deity of Jesus will have an effect on the strength of your faith and ultimately what you believe. That's why it's a big deal. That's why it's imperative that you believe what is true about Jesus. Because your confidence in your faith, your confidence in believing what you believe, your rootedness, how deep the roots go in your faith, the deity of Jesus has a lot to do with it. And, and, and what you believe about that will have an effect on the strength of your faith. If you don't believe Jesus was God, then your faith is going to be very rocky. But if you believe that he is God, well, then it solidifies everything. And we'll talk about it, and I'll explain it a little bit more. But I will say this, because there are two places in 20, however many years of ministry that I've, that I've had, there are two things that I see that if these two things get rocky, your faith will have the shallowest roots that you could possibly have. Two things. Number one, you're thinking on Jesus. If you don't believe that he is God, that's going to mess up a lot of things for you. Because if Jesus is not God, think about this for a second, then that means that he was a sinful human being. If Jesus was not God, then you and I are still dead in our sins. Because that means he was not the atonement for our sins. Because it had to be a spotless person. And number two, the other way that, I, that if this gets rocky, your faith will be on very unstable ground is your thinking on scripture. Those are the two things. You're thinking on the person of Jesus and you're thinking on scripture. If you do not believe that scripture is the inerrant, infallible word of God, then I don't even know why you would bother to read it other than reading it like you read Harry Potter just for some good stories. Because if it's not infallible, if it's not inerrant, then that means that you have no idea what is true and you have no idea what's made up. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't believe that any other book in history is the infallible word of God, which is why I don't read. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Don't use that. Okay. <laughs> no, but seriously, think about that. Like how much stock do you put in other books? Do you study them? Do you read them? Do you, do you read them like your life depends on them? No. You don't do that with any other, any other book. And if it's not the infallible word of God, then treat it like any other book. It's just, a, it's just a guess. And people are like, I don't believe that it's the infallible word of God. Oh, okay. Well, then how do you believe that we're saved? Well, I mean, Jesus died for our sins. 
did he? Like if it's not, if it's not inerrant, if it's not infallible, did he? Like, how do you know? Are you the one who decides this? Like, did you just take that scripture and go, I believe that one, but I don't believe that one. And I believe that one, but I don't believe that one. Because it sure sounds like to me that you've turned yourself into God. If that's how you're going to do things. Look, I'll be honest with you guys. I'll stand up here right now and say, if you don't believe that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God, don't waste your time reading it. I mean, unless you really just want to get into a Bible book club and talk about it, that's cool. But it's worth nothing if it's not. And I've seen people time after time who have said, Jesus wasn't God, and I don't believe that, the, I don't believe that scriptures are infallible. I've seen them go from a place where they used to say script, that scripture is infallible and Jesus is God, to then kind of progressing. Why? Because of the pressures from the outside world that say, ah, I think that scripture is not God's word. I think that Jesus maybe wasn't God, that they start listening and then they start coming, their roots just start getting shallower and shallower. And, and before you know it, they're like, well, maybe it's not the word of God. And then I promise you, any person that you've ever met that used to believe the Bible is the word of God that decides now it's not the word of God anymore, that person is on a path out the door. Why? Because logically that's what you should do. They will be on a path out the door. Those things are so important. Those two things are so, so important. So let me ask you guys this question. Who is Jesus? How firmly do you believe what you believe? That's something that we all have to think about. Could someone make your belief crumble with one argument? I have former youth whose faiths were completely crumbled because of one argument the other way. May, did, could it possibly muddy the waters with you? Could they cause you to compromise a little bit with just one thing against what you believe? I was watching an interview the other day um, with Dallas Jenkins. Do you guys know who that is? He's the creator of The Chosen, all right? That's um, a, t a, a TV series, right? Or a app series. I don't know what to call it. But The Chosen, which by the way, random fact, so we were at, um, we, we got to go to Hershey Park this past weekend, which was really cool. And we were standing behind this, this gentleman um, in, a, in the line, and he had a Chosen hoodie on. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool. You know, and me being from New York, I'm like, I crushed that. And, and so I was like, maybe, I don't know, maybe you got it at a thrift store. So now I'm second guessing myself. And, and then he takes his jacket off and he has a Chosen shirt on underneath. And I was like, no, that's on purpose. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, now this guy's obsessed <laughs> with, with the chosen. Um, and so I, I stopped him and I asked him, I was like, hey man, uh, so I noticed your hoodie and your shirt. It's like just big fans or like what? And he was like, actually, and he was there with his, his wife and his two daughters. They were like, we were on an episode. And I was like, no way, cool. And then he busts out his phone and shows me all these pictures. It's whenever Jesus was feeding the 5,000. And uh, I was like, <laughs> I was like, who are you in that? They were like, among the 5,000. <laughs> I was like, cool. And they were like, but if you see Matthew in there and he's passing stuff out, like we're behind him in that. I was like, I'm so, so going to look for that. But uh, anyways, that's nothing to do with anything. Cool story. But I'm talking about, I was re looking at an interview with Dallas Jenkins and, and actually I turned around to Tamara. I was like, I'm going to actually use an illustration about Dallas um, on Sunday. And I'm not going to tell that guy this illustration, but he was doing an interview. And as you guys know, the chosen is kind of in hot water right now, if you didn't know. 
um, because of just some different people that they've allowed to work on the set of, of The Chosen. And so, and actually help write some of the material for The Chosen. Um, and so like some of the music even um, are done by people who aren't necessarily believers. Uh, and, then, and then people who helped write The Chosen, actually some of them are Mormon. And so, um, you know, there are, you know, Christians who are like, we're never going to touch it because Mormons have touched it. And everybody, I'm just like, chill out, everybody. Like, just relax. Everybody relax. Know your Bible and just be sure you're testing it, you know, with what is true. But one thing that kind of disturbed me was, was that Dallas was doing an interview and he brought on this guy um, that, uh, that was, was a Mormon who was also, you know, on, on writing the show with him. And he was like, man, I've been getting a lot of backlash for all of this, as you well know, but I'm just bringing you on. And man, I just want to kind of talk about this and have a candid conversation. Like, you know, at the end of the day, he goes, I'm going to die on a hill for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I was like, excuse me. And because he goes, because if you think about it at the end of the day, and he's like, they're talking back and forth and they're kind of laughing about stuff. And he goes, at the end of the day, we all love and worship the same Jesus. And I was like, do you? Like at the end of the day, the day do you? I mean, do more, like if you, if you talk to a Mormon, they'll come up and they'll be like, yeah, I believe, I believe in Jesus. Like, I believe the Jesus that was born from Mary, I believe that he died on the cross. But if you ask them the question, do you believe that Jesus is God? They'll say, well, no. I believe that he was created, but he's still really important. And you might be thinking, okay, Greg, are we like splitting hairs here? Like, what's the deal? Well, let me illustrate it this way. If I were to invite you over for dinner, and I was like, I got this awesome new recipe for hamburgers. And we're going to make some good burgers. First of all, how many people are in on that? Okay, me too. And you're like, oh, I love a good burger. Let's do this. And I'm like, all right, cool. So meet, let's meet tomorrow. Come over. We're going to make burgers. Cool. Do I need to bring anything? No, don't. I love you guys always ask that. Do I need to bring anything? We'll just tell you a dessert because we don't know what else to say. But... You come over, we're hanging out, and I'm like, all right, here we go. We're going to cook them together. You're like, oh, okay. All right. I mean, let's cook together. I start, I'm like, okay, we're not, like, here's the hamburger meat, but we're not going to form it into patties. This is a new recipe I found online. We're not going to form it into patties. We're actually going to ground it up. And you're like, okay, it's going to be hard to stick them together, but all right. And so we start grounding up beef. We're like, this is great. This is awesome. And then I'm like, okay, also. Like, we're going to add in some of these, like, seasonings. Do you like seasoning in your burger? And you're like, I love seasoning in my burger. Okay, we're going to add some things. We're going to add some salt and pepper. We're going to add some paprika. We're going to add some oregano. We're going to add some onion powder, some chili powder. And you're like, okay, like a Mexican burger. That's what we're making. We're making a Mexican burger. Sounds good, because those are all the things that sound like it's going to be a Mexican burger. Empanada Loca has a Mexican burger. Maybe we're making a Mexican burger. I'm like, oh, awesome, cool. And I'm like, okay, oh, also in this new recipe, though, look, we're actually not going to use a bun. What we're going to do is we're actually going to get uh, these, we're going to get corn tortillas. You, you know what they are. And we're just going to kind of like fold them up a little bit. And, and then just like fry them so that they kind of look like this, you know, 
Uh, and you're going, hold on. I thought you were making a burger. And, and, and I'm like, well, I am. It's a brand new recipe. You're going to love it. And then you're like, okay, well, but this is tacos. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's burgers. New recipe. You're going to be like, no, it's not. It's, bur it's tacos. Like, I know what a taco is. It doesn't matter what I call it, what you call it. It's a taco. All right? But here's the thing. If you think about it, a lot of the ingredients were really similar, but you just make this one little shift in something and it becomes something completely different. Like you can talk about Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, yeah, I know him. He's got all the same kind of ingredients. But if you, if you deny him the deity that he is, that he said he was, that scripture claims that he is, you're, it's no longer the same thing. It doesn't matter what you call it. So do we worship the same Jesus? Do we, do we pray to the same Jesus? No, we don't. Who you're calling Jesus is not Jesus. You can't deny Jesus his divinity. You've made something completely different. And if anybody says they believe in a Jesus that was not God, they believe in something that is not Jesus. And why is it important that Jesus is God? Because a Jesus who is not God cannot save. A Jesus who is not God cannot save. Paul felt that it was important for the Colossians to be rooted in the deity of Christ. Guys, it's so important that we are rooted in the deity of Christ. Don't let anyone try to tell you that Jesus wasn't God. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.